The Giants lost their ninth straight game Monday night in Philly. We break down Eli Manning's return in the overtime loss with New York Post Giants beat writer Paul Schwartz. A Giants Super Bowl champion turned radio host and TV personality Chris Canty also joins us. All that and more next on Blue Rush with the New York Post. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Blue Rush, a New York Giants podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host, Jimmy Fallon. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Rate us five stars and write a nice review. We will gladly take it at the season we're having. Uh, Paul Schwartz and Chris Canty joined the pod today. Let's get it on. So this is where I would normally start the show with like two or three quick snarky comments and then toss it over to Paul Schwartz or Steve Serby. But at this point, the Blue Rush podcast has done nine weeks of coverage and lost all nine games. We're having a players-only meeting today. We have shut the door. We have barred the media. My producer, Jake Brown, joins me today at the top of the show. What's up, Jake Brown? Oh, man, Eli comes in, and it looks like the glory days. So I, I feel like we should switch it up. You got Miami this week and a chance to win a game, finally. We had to switch up the format, and maybe that'll make it. Well, I think what we should have did is, like, you know, when you talk about a Hollywood ending, we should have just watched the game for a half and gone to bed. You've got 179 yards passing. you got two touchdowns. Like in a movie, I'll give you an example. In the movie Major League, they, like, make the playoffs. That's all they give you. They don't tell you what went on in the playoffs. We sh- they just sh- should have just had a mercy and shut that game off so we didn't have to watch the clock strike midnight and the Giants become the Giants again. Because the makings were there. It was a, it was a nice, it was a feel-good thing. In Philly! It was we were in Philly games. of all places. It was like the glory first half. It's like Eli's back, and, and you love it. You're looking at the Super Bowls. You're like, finally, it's here. And then the second half comes, and you're like, oh, right, this is a 2-10 and 10 team that's you know, fighting for Chase Young in the first pick. It reminded me of, uh, this is probably before your time because you're like 12, but in the Michael Jackson thriller video, there is, like, Michael Jackson's dancing. He's like, oh, he's really good looking. Michael Jackson's rather the jacket. And then he turns in the second half of the video, and it's the same outfit, but it's ripped up, and he's now, like, the ghost beat up Michael Jackson. I mean, so, everyone knows that music video. It's a classic. Oh, I mean, okay. Just make it sure. 12, okay. 14, actually, to be exact. <laughs> uh, I, I know of that. Yes. All right. Just, uh, just double checking. But I, th- I thought we got the thriller Eli in the second half, 4 of 11, uh, pretty underwhelming performance. But that being said, Jake Brown, I wanted to know from you, and I will ask Paul Schwartz this as well. At some point, when you host a podcast and you cover a football team and a model franchise, mind you, the New York Giants, uh, at some point, if they've lost nine straight games, everybody's got to start asking what they could be doing better. Are we somehow negatively impacting this team's performance? I don't think so. I think you've done a good job carrying the load. You've done better than Pat Shermer, who's going to oh get canned as, as quick as ever. Uh, <laughs> send him to the Bahamas now. I hope he's got his good JetBlue deals locked in. Uh, got a movie ready for the flight. Maybe 50 first dates ready for the flight uh, um, because he's finished. Uh, I think we've done a good job, but I just think the Giants – don't have a great team. They don't have a great offensive line to protect for the young quarterback, which is part of the reason, and you talk about this with Paul Schwartz, why there's absolutely no reason to put Daniel Jones back on the field. Oh, if somebody – no, we're going to get into this. I might have to fight him on the air if it comes down to this. Please. Because I heard this talk uh, from a lot of people last night. Eli should start every game the rest of the way, and this has nothing to do with sentiment. This part has, of it is. Part well, of it's yeah, well, listen, we love the guy. <laughs> Let's be real. We it's love a lost season. We like to see him play. All right, good job being standards and practices. But the reality of this is, if, if we put Daniel Jones back in there in what is known now as a lost season, and he gets hurt, every single person 
who's saying he should be in there is going to reverse course and be like, how'd they put him in there? Um, and we're not even talking about the high ankle sprain. There's the potential for other injuries to be suffered. I'm talking about injuries he hasn't already suffered. This is very, to me, very similar, um, Jake. When you're watching a college football game and a team is up, you know, 73 to 5, and all of a sudden the quarterback who's still in the game gets hurt, we're all like, what the hell is he doing in the game? This is the same scenario for the Giants. And something people are overlooking in Week 17, you get a lot of those practice squad players and players who really aren't NFL-like players out there, and that's a chance for him to get hurt behind guy, an offensive line, whatever it may be. You're putting him in a bad spot with some guys who aren't going to be there next year, and you're not putting him with the best players possible to keep him healthy. And, and think about this, Pat Shermer. You may not be here to coach the team next year, but Daniel Jones and Pat Shermer have a pretty good relationship. You're going to need guys to help you move out of your office in like three weeks. If you get Daniel Jones hurt, that, that's more boxes you have to carry. Yeah, that and I think we've seen enough of Daniel Jones with this team. I, everyone's like, oh, you know, I had people tweeting me mad like, how is there more intrigue with Eli? Well, the first half you kind of saw some of that that's intrigue exciting. and you saw some of the great memories. There's more intrigue because it's been the same old thing every week. Some every Jones week. needs a break. One, he's hurt, mm -hmm. so there's no reason for him to be out there. Uh, two, this team stinks. Let's get him an offensive line and have a great offseason so you put him behind a team that could actually win football games next year. So don't tell me there's less intrigue because, Eli, I have no reason to watch them. I had more reason to watch with Daniel Jones. You had more reason to watch a team go 2-14? and 14? Yeah, we're. I mean, we've lost literally nine straight games. You know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. To our credit, we're no longer expecting a different result, so we're not I'm insane. It. They win this week. They beat the Whoa. Dolphins, the streak ends, and we're popping bubbly for the podcast I, on Monday. I don't know that you pop bubbly for beating the Dolphins. <laughs> Chardonnay. We'll play some Marvin Gaye and Chardonnay and call it a week. I'm popping maybe a cold 45 at best, the best I can give you. But I'll be popping is the point. I'd I be wish excited. the game was in South Beach so we could take uh, our talents there, but uh, that won't be happening. I don't know, Jake Brown, if we have South Beach bodies right now between Fonto you and me. Blue. I, I have I have more of a East Rutherford body this time of year, so I'm, I'm happy this is a giant home game. Well, I have a suit on today, and you just said to me that is a fat guy move, right? Oh, Jake what Brown is, is making a class fat guy move today and I love it I admire the craftsmanship Met gentlemen if you're listening at home or you're driving in the car I mean if you're listening to us chances are this is on a transistor radio in a prison if you're listening to me and Jake Brown but the there's, there's a classic fat guy move everybody makes this time of year which, which at least I do um, as a guy who goes on TV a lot you match your shirt color and your tie color to your eye color okay so you take like you run a blue like you're running a blue a blue through line right now so you got a little blue in the tie, you got a lot of blue in the shirt, and it syncs up with your eyes. And what it does, it's an optical illusion, is it makes everybody focus on that through line of eye, tie, shirt, and it shrinks the totality of you. This is an optical illusion. I learned this. I'm not kidding. As a, as a fat guy who's had to get by his whole life, I know, you know, like in Major League when they're like, you put snot on the ball. It's the same type of craftsmanship. You've got to know how to trick the eye. But why don't we get to a guy who's a little slimmer? Soaking in Giants yes. uh, coverage and, with and, the New York Post. And, and he is and he is paid to write about the Giants uh, straight up and honestly. There's no fat guy tricks with Paul Schwartz, so let's bring him in. Tell it like it is. Uh, which sometimes is not convenient for us. At this point, after nine straight losses as podcast hosts, we'd appreciate it if he could tell us like it isn't once in a while. Uh, but one way or the other, we'll take it because we're just happy to have him. Paul Schwartz joins us on Blue Rush. What's up, man? Hey, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, same uh, same result, different quarterback, different quarterback, same result. It goes on and on with the Giants. It's amazing. I mean, they, they specialize in losing. Uh, they do it in different ways, in different venues, in the summer, in the, in the fall, in the winter, in the rain. 
in light snow against the Packers. Um, yeah, it's really remarkable. You know, it's really remarkable. I mean, the Eagles Monday night did almost nothing to win the game, and yet they did. So that's where we are. <laughs> a, the Giants would lose their car keys at this point. It, it's not good. It's not pretty. Um, the defense just folded down the stretch in, in overtime, too. I mean, that was really hard for me to watch. Um, I don't know. Is it us? I asked you this that last week. We're 0-9 now as hosts. Is it fair to say it's not us at this point? Well, it's um, it's not fair for anyone in the Giants locker room to say it's not us. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you know, you, you said the defense folded down the stretch, right? The defense was on the field for 89 plays, okay? The Giants offense was on the field for 52 plays. So the Giants defense is not a good defense. They were on the field for... You know, you know, in an inordinate amount of time, they gave up 17 points to the Eagles in regulation. You have to be able to score 18 points or 19 points and win that game, right? Now, we know when given the opportunity, the Giants' defense will cough it up. We know that. But they did enough in 89 snaps to win the game. They 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 competed. They they limited the big plays to, to, you know, just a handful. They pressured Carson Wentz. So this is yet another example of in other games, the Giants and Daniel Jones did some nice things on offense and the defense just was abysmal. This was a case where the Giants offense in the second half literally could have gone out and pretty much taken a knee on every snap and it wouldn't have been much different. And it's just unbelievable. You know, and look, it all comes down to, to the ro- roster and the coaching, and, um, you know, that's why Pat Shermer is not going to be the Giants' coach any much longer. No, did you feel like he got out-coached down the stretch uh, when he didn't use his timeouts on that fourth and one? I believe you wrote about that, too. You know, Pat Shermer, you know, he thinks that the the um, Eagles might be calling for a fake punt, So he and he, he's got his punt team on the field, so he waits – but it, it just it just took too long, uh, right? You know, he, he waits twenty seconds to call timeout. You know, assuring they have no time to work with at the end of the half, where the Eagles were not going to fake punt it there. So it's not a an, a dreadful error, but it's the kind of thing where you look at, and I think Giants ownership has to look at and say, when does our coach make those kind of crafty moves to force the other team to use a timeout? You know, when does our coach? do the, the little things that that kind of put the other coach in a bind. Not game-deciding things, but little things during a game that kind of put you behind the eight ball. The Giants just don't do that. No, we don't see a lot of that at all. I mean, top to bottom. It's really been an underwhelming year. I mean, I think a lot of fans got some chicken soup for the soul last night because we got Eli back. We got a big first half out of Eli. Uh, that was exciting. You go, you know, 11 for 19, 179 yards, two TDs. Things were looking up for a minute there. What happened to him in the second half? Four of 11, 24 yards. You're right. I mean, you know, Eli to Darius Slayton, you know, it's funny. When your quarterback throws to a rookie receiver and Darius Slayton looks like such a such a great steal in the draft, you think to yourself, wow, this could be a combination for years to come. And then you think, oh, wait, that quarterback is 38-year-old Eli Manning, so it's a combination for a game or two, and then, you know, that goes into the uh, history books. Eli looked good. You know, Eli looked pretty good in the first half. Not great. He looked definitely rusty in the beginning, but that second quarter, he found his mojo. He found his groove. He's throwing the ball down the field. You know, he still can throw a beautiful deep ball like he did on that one down the left sideline, right? You think, wow, that's like the Mario Manningham one in Super Bowl 46, even though even though I shudder to, to mention anything 
about last night. It's the Super Bowl 46, right? But but then the second half, right, he completes four passes, uh, just 24 yards. They have 29 yards in total offense. Basically, you know what happened, Jimmy? And this goes back to coaching. In the second half, the Eagles said, what the hell are we doing playing man-to-man with guys like Darius Slayton, who we cannot run with? We're going to go to a cover two. We're going to keep everything in front of us, play a soft zone, and that totally crippled the Giants' offense, and that just shouldn't happen. Yeah, it shouldn't happen. Did you? Uh, do you feel like Eli's going to start the rest of the season? No, I don't. Um, I think he'll start against Miami. Uh, it is a moderate high ankle sprain for Daniel Jones. So, and, and I, you know, there's no sentiment within the organization to say let's have Daniel sit and let's just let Eli run it out here. Look, this farewell tour is is you know it's going to creak to a to a, a conclusion here. He'll get another start against my you know against the Dolphins. That'll be his final home game. And then I think unless things have a setback with Daniel Jones, I think he'll probably start. The last two games, uh, you know, I think as soon as he's ready to go, they're going to put him back out there. Then they're, they're just not going to say, you know, let's just 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 let this ride with Eli. They don't want to do that. And and why is it? I understand they've got to build for the future, but this is already a lost season. You've got a rookie quarterback that people have seen good signs out of. But that being said, why is there no sentiment in a lost season to show Eli a little bit more regard down the stretch? Well, why should they? I mean, what regard are we talking about? I mean, is it is it a good thing to have Eli Manning lose the last four games. You know what I mean? I mean, then they're a terrible, they're a terrible team. Of course, but is it a better thing to put a, a hobbled Daniel Jones out there to lose those same games just the Jimmy, same? Jimmy, are you in this reality? Who said they're putting a hobbled Daniel Jones on the field? No, I know. I'm saying, but even so, let's say he comes back from injury in two weeks, as you had said earlier, like Eli could start the Dolphin game. But is there some concern that in a lost season with two games to go, they're just better off not having the guy out there on the field. It's like when a college coach is up 58 points and he still has his starters in the game. That can come back to bite you. And in a world where they've lost, say, 10 or 11 in a row, if Daniel Jones gets hurt the last week of the season, I think there's going to be a lot of questions asked. No, I think the best players play. I mean, Daniel Jones is the best quarterback on the team. They think every game and every snap he takes will help in his development. And so this is another thing Daniel Jones has to do is come back from an injury, rehab, all stuff he's never done in the NFL before. And if he's ready to go, look, now, now if he's if he's iffy, you know, this is not the playoffs. I get that. If, if he's – if it's well, he could go either way. They'll probably sit him. But this is considered a moderate high ankle sprain. He already was out of the boot at the end of this past week. If they think he's ready to go – the one thing about a high ankle sprain is you usually do not run the risk of getting it worse and hurting the injury more by playing. It's a pain threshold deal where – it hurts. It's swollen. You have your mobility and range of motion is limited, so you can't play. Once you can deal with that, then you can play. And, you know, the, the organization wants to send Eli off as positively as possible. And that's really not playing because the team is no good. Maybe they can squeeze a win out of the Dolphins because the Dolphins are a bad team playing at home. Maybe it won't be raining. And then if Daniel Jones is ready to play, they're going to be all too willing to show Eli back to the bench and put the rookie back in. My other concerns down the stretch uh, beyond the development of Daniel Jones is we've hit that point on a losing team where some guys are basically playing for jobs elsewhere next year. Uh, Is there a world where Eli is playing for a job elsewhere right now? 
Well, that's that's a better question, and um, finally, a better question. Um, no, <laughs> Good for you. I love you. I feel like um, I got Serbia on the phone now. I love it. Go ahead. That's right. Is Eli playing for another job? Um, you know, I mean, you can't say empirically absolutely not, but I feel very strongly Eli is going to retire at the end of this year and never play again. Um, I don't think he wants to play for any other team, but you know, Eli will be a free agent and, and Eli certainly has the right to shop himself to anybody. I don't think there will be really any serious takers for Eli Manning at age 39, you know, losing and losing and losing and, and looking like he can function as an NFL quarterback, but I'm not sure he can really win at any kind of consistent level anymore as an NFL quarterback. So, um, I, I don't look at this as a two or three game audition. I look at this as the end of the road for Eli. Now, look, like I said, Eli will be a free agent and Eli's a company man when he was under contract. It's like, you know, when you're married, right? You can't look at any, you can't do anything with anybody else when you're married, but Eli will not be married to the giants after this season. And he can, his eyes can wander anywhere he wants. I just don't know if there's going to be anybody who wants to dance with him. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's funny. He's playing the wall a little bit, if you will. I could see that. Uh, talking about people no one wants to dance with, who has got a better chance of being on the Giants come February 1st, Dave Gettleman or Pat Shermer? Huh. Um, well, uh, Dave Gettleman has a better chance of being on the Giants, but, uh, you know, to being the GM, but I'm not sure he should be uh, buying a lot of real estate right now in New Jersey either. Uh, you know, Pat Shermer, for the first time after this game, for the first time, I sensed a reality check from him in some resignation. He was asked, do you expect this organization will let you finish out the season? And in the past, when he's asked about his job security, he said, I don't think about that. I'm looking ahead. No one tells, told me anything. He said after the game, yes, I do, but I just have to wait and see. Um, now, I do not anticipate the Giants relieving him of his duties you know, after this game, because what the heck, why should they, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, or, or, you know, bad news can wait, but um, you know, I don't see how the giants can bring him back. And, you know, Gettleman is the real, real issue here because John Marrett and Steve Tisch do not want to fire their GM after just a couple of years. They really don't. They don't want to fire the head coach either. You know, Pat Shermer has three more years left on his contract. This organization just finished paying Ben McAdoo for two years to do nothing. And now they're going to absorb three years of Pat Shermer doing nothing. I mean, that is bad management right there, but it could, it, it likely will happen. But Gettleman is another story. You know, how much has he sold them on? This is a rebuild and this is a rebuild. And, and you, you know, this is a step back, but uh, we have to take a step back to take a step forward. You know, that's going to be the real issue. Um, you know, right now I'm inclined to think they don't fire Gettleman, but, you know, 2-14, and 14, if they go that way, I mean, you know, all bets are off as far as what they do. It's tough. Well, I will say this, Paul Schwartz. We're t- <laughs> it's looking an awful lot like it's going to be 2-14, and 14, but for my money, as a podcast, we're 14-2. and two. I- I've-, I've seen a banner effort every week. I feel like the-, the franchise has progressed as the year has moved on, uh, despite some of the pot shots I've taken from you and Serby. I do still think this is my locker room. I feel good about us going forward. How about you? Well, all I can say is uh, my sources uh, have told me when uh, the question was uh, broached to them, um, do we expect our New York Post organization to let you finish out the season? Uh, It was, um, we'll just have to wait and see. (laughs) So you and Pat Sherman need to find a little bistro somewhere and um, discuss some of these plans for the future. That's what I'm afraid of, Jimmy. 
<laughs> if anybody needs me, I'll be at Uber. Thanks a lot, Paul Schwartz. I'll talk to you soon, man. Have a nice ride. Joining us now on the show, not only is he a Super Bowl champion, but he is the co-host of what many consider the Super Bowl champions of radio on ESPN Radio right here in New York. Chris Canty, the co-host of Humpty and Canty, joins us now on Blue Rush. Good morning, Chris Canty. Good morning. How you guys doing? Well, good. What did you think of that plug for your show? It sounded pretty enthusiastic, right? No, that was pretty impressive, man. I, I don't know if our show is worthy of, of such an introduction, but I'll take it. <laughs> you know, some guys would say, you know, they're a wild card hopeful of radio. You know, I see you guys as already in. I think you got a one seed, so there's that. Um, you're a giant guy. <laughs> you're, you're a giant guy. You're proficient at hitting quarterbacks and, and tackling people. Uh, I know you saw last night's game. Um, what the heck happened in the second half? I mean, we just it, at some point the Eagles flipped the switch and we just weren't stopping them down the stretch. Well, here's the thing. I, I think that the Eagles are a more talented team than the Giants this year. They were just underachieving. They haven't been playing up to their full potential. And I think we saw in the latter part of that third quarter on the Philadelphia Eagles actually show up up until then. It looked like they were sleepwalking, and the New York Giants took advantage of some of the early miscues, and that's why they were able to jump out to a 14-point lead at halftime. That was tough. How hard were you? Uh, how hard were you rooting for Eli last night? Well, I was rooting for Eli, man. I could not root for Eli. It was a tough situation coming into this year. Uh, the owner John Mara came out before the season and said that in a perfect world, Eli would start the entire year, and Daniel Jones would never see the field, and that lasted for all of two games. So. Uh, you know, it's just tough to be a 16-year vet and, and be benched unceremoniously for the rookie. It's, it's, it's not an easy situation, but he handled it with class and dignity. And for him to turn back the clock and have the performance that he had, especially in the first half, I couldn't be happier for him. Oh, good. I mean, if, if, if you're Eli, because he's obviously just such a class guy, he's respected across the league. Um so wildly respected across the league. Do you see him going out like this, or is there a world where we get another season of Eli on a different team? Well, I, I, I thought it was interesting. Joe Tessitore and Booker McFarland said that they spoke to Eli in the interviews leading up to Monday Night Football. And he said that he didn't want to be a backup and he doesn't want to be a coach. He's going to seek an opportunity elsewhere, or he's just going to go ahead and retire. My only thing that, that makes me lean closer to the latter and not the former is the fact that if Eli Manning goes somewhere else to play football, he's not going to be the long-term solution at the quarterback position. He's just going to be a bridge to whatever young quarterback that a team is going to bring in this offseason. So he would be signing up, in essence, for the same thing that happened this year. And as as I mentioned before, he has no interest in being a backup. So I don't see Eli Manning going anywhere else to play. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, and you would think Peyton could get him some commercial work, you know? <laughs> Between those two guys, man, family of football. I guess I guess you gotta include Archie in that too and Cooper's son Arch Manning who's an up and comer down in the Gulf South. So uh but I hear here's the thing. I think the Manning family, they're not gonna be done with the National Football League. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Eli Manning and Peyton Manning at some point are part of an ownership group. That would be pretty cool. I mean, two guys that bring a lot of, they would bring a lot of heat to the table, and I'd get behind that in a second. Um, I They'd think, bring a lot of cash, too. <laughs> <laughs> some of that Papa John's money, some of that, you know, it's all kinds of dough flying around Peyton Town right now. He's the guy to hang out with. Um, let me ask you this question. You played on a Super Bowl champion uh, against, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever played the game, Tom Brady. What is there, uh, you're on the field against Tom Brady. Is there something different about rushing Tom Brady than, than say, uh, a Peyton Manning or an Eli Manning, one of the, you know, myriad quarterbacks you've hit? Yeah, there's something different. You know, you're going against the greatest of all time, and so you have a little more urgency. 
to try to get after him. I mean, all quarterbacks, um, they have a hard time performing at their best when they're under duress. And that was the formula for the 2011 Giants. We knew that with our front four, we had to get after it. Because if you blitz one of those quarterbacks that's got the kind of experience that, that Peyton Manning has, that Eli Manning has, and that Tom Brady has, then they're going to pick you apart because they know exactly where to go with the football. So we knew that we had to drop seven in coverage and we're going to be up to the front four in order to get pressure. If we were going to do that, we were going to win. We had to do that. Fortunately, we were able to make enough plays to give ourselves a chance in Super Bowl Forty Six. Yeah, that was that was huge. I was there. I mean, I, I was able to pay my rent that month thanks to you, so thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> this would be a totally different show. We'd be broadcasting out of a car right now. wouldn't be good. Um, I, I wanted to ask you this, too. Um, knowing that, you know, you've got such urgency to hit a bigger quarterback like a Tom Brady, does that make him a sweeter quarterback to hit than other quarterbacks? Like, if you do get the lay a pad on him? Well, I don't know about making it sweeter. I mean, you know, you're you're out there doing your job. And one thing that I'm a top competitor, and he has my ultimate respect. I remember when I played him, when I was with the Dallas Cowboys back in 2007, and I was in Texas Stadium. At the time, both teams were undefeated, and we knew that it was going to be one of those epic matchups. And for some reason, on this particular play, um, the offensive line parted like the Red Sea, and I had a free run at Tom Brady. And I probably hit him as hard as I hit anybody in my pro career. And I thought I'd knock And he sat there on the ground for a second, shook his head. And his offensive lineman, Matt Light, helped him up. He went back to the huddle for the next play. And it was after that moment that I knew he was a different kind of cat. Um, and so there's always that, that intangible with the great ones. And you can't quantify it. Um, but you know it when you see it. And for Tom Brady, that was that moment for me. I, I kind of knew. This guy was different than the other quarterbacks around the National Football League. Wow. Yeah, that's that's incredible stuff. Let me ask you this. Having played for Jerry Jones, is he as involved in the locker room and with the players as we're told to believe outside of the Dallas locker room? Well, let me say this. I think Jerry Jones is a tremendous owner. What he's done for the Dallas Cowboys, the National Football League, um, you know, you, you, you can't say enough good things about that. Um, but as far as the football operations side, I think sometimes Jerry can get in his own way. Uh, you know, he can undermine the coaching staff, the front office, and it makes it difficult to accomplish the ultimate goal, which is competing for a championship. Uh, you know, I lived a little bit of it back in my time with the Dallas Cowboys. I came in in 2005 under Bill Parcells, and when I joined that organization, there was no question who was running the football side of things. It was Bill Parcells, it was Jeff Ireland. Uh, but after that 2006 season, after that playoff loss up in Seattle, um, you know, Bill Parcells decided that he was going to resign as the head coach, and the organization shifted. And they hired Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator before they hired Wade Phillips to listen to who the ultimate authority was on the football side. And I think it's a similar situation in 2019 for the Cowboys. Coming into this year, Jason Garrett was a lame duck coach. He wasn't under contract after this season. So if you're a player in that locker room, you know, you have to ask yourself, why should you respect the authority of the head coach? You've got more job security than he does in most situations. I think it makes it a little tough for Jason Garrett to do his job. And unfortunately, that's why the Dallas Cowboys have underachieved this entire year. When coming into this season, they have a roster that most would look at as championship caliber. Yep, people saw them as a championship team. Same goes for the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles win last night to get to 6-7. and seven. 
Uh, if they win out, they'd get in, but they've got to win out. I mean, I don't think anybody envisioned an Eagles team that needed to go 4-0 down the stretch to get in. Are you a little surprised by how much they've underachieved? I'm a little bit surprised, but it makes me pay a little closer attention to some of the grumblings coming out of that building, Carson Wentz, and how they don't respect his leadership style. I mean, you have to put some kind of stock in that because it's clear that this team has regressed from their 2017 form when they won a championship. So I, there's something off there. The talent is there. Even though on the offensive side of the ball, they don't have that speed element, they still have a tremendous amount of talent. Offensive line, tight end position, running backs. You're just trying to figure out why is this team not playing up to their full potential. And I got to think it's got to do with some of the chemistry issues that they've had in the locker room in the last couple of years. Wow, that's heavy. But I, I think a lot of people would agree with you. Um, and I think in a weird way, Nick Foles. Well, it's not the coach. It's not the coach. We know it's not Doug Peters, one of the best play callers in the NFL. I mean, he's proven that he can win at the highest level. So it's not him. It's not Howie Roseman. The guy buying the groceries, he knows how to put a team together. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason for them if they don't win out because it will put a little more pressure on Carson Wentz. I mean, he caught a break by the fact that, you know, Nick Foles hasn't been healthy this year because if Nick Foles goes down to Jacksonville with one Super Bowl championship in his back pocket and plays his heart out and, you know, they're a 12-4 and four team, Philly fans are not going to sit well. That's not going to sit well with them. There's a lot of light poles getting toppled, a lot of police horses getting punched if that's the case. <laughs> No, you're probably right, but here's the thing. With Carson, the organization has made a decision. I mean, they used a lot of draft capital to move up to take him way back when, and then they gave him that huge contract extension this offseason. So Carson Wentz will be there. Now I think the scrutiny and the, the, the intensity of the pressure that's on him will continue to rise if this team doesn't get the results that they're looking for because once you start making upwards of 30, $33, 34000000 million a year, People expect that you get this team to perform a lot better than it has. So I just think that the, the scrutiny on Carson Wentz is only what to continue to increase. Yep. Um, one last thing. You're talking about draft capital. Uh, you're a guy who, who hits the quarterback for a living. Do you want the Giants to get Chase Young? Is that Would that be your ideal scenario? The positions as it pertains to winning in the National Football League, pass rusher is second, right behind quarterback. So uh, I think that the Giants, will be in a position to be able to, to draft Chase Young. I mean, you, you saw last night that uh, the team was competitive, but they ended up losing the game. That's probably in their best interest when we start thinking about what's going to happen in the spring. But, uh, yeah, the Giants need, need a pass rusher. You need to have that guy that can routinely break down the protection, especially from the edge. And uh, Chase Young represents an opportunity for the Giants to add somebody from a personnel standpoint that'll be able to do that. I really appreciate you joining the show today, man. And I'm going to tell all our listeners to follow you on Twitter and Instagram at ChrisCanty99. And they should check out Humpty and Canty. Who covers that show? I mean, uh, who carries that show? Don't be a diplomat. Is it all you or is it all Humpty? No, it's all Dave Rothenberg, to be honest with you. He's the guy that keeps us uh, keeps us on the rails, so to speak. I don't know where that show would end up going, but uh, we have a good time. You know, it's, it's, an extension, it's an extension of what we did in the locker room as players. Um, and we're proud of the show. Oh, us too, man. We appreciate you joining us. This was a good get for our production department. They actually left the bar for a few minutes and got something done. So congrats to them, and congrats <laughs> to you. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it, Chris Canty. All right, thanks for having me on. That's going to do it for this episode of Blue Rush. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making the magic happen. Listen to all episodes of Blue Rush by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more Giants news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting NewYorkPost.com. 
We'll be back Thursday to preview Big Blue's matchup with the Dolphins. We can beat them, right? Oh, boy. See you then.